Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We're back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike to take you along with Charlie Long. Steve Gello will join us at 540. Bob took a day off. Uh, got some dinner work here. Revealed that to everybody yesterday. And so uh, he'll be back tomorrow with us on Sports Talk here on the Big 870. Charlie, last night, uh, as we were doing uh, second guess, man, the Pelicans jump out to a big lead. You, we were texting one another. And, man, but at the end, spit the bit. And you got to give the Celtics a lot of credit. They know how to close out a game. Man, you One, sound like Willie. 118, 112. No, they, they do know how to close it out. No, no, no. The Pelicans said, give don't. Give a lot of credit because yeah. that's what Willie says every time they lose Yeah, uh, okay, I'll get it. Uh, <laughs> but, man, I'll give them credit here because it didn't go well for them. What they were down at one time, about 15? 15 in the first half. Then the Pelicans, you know, got close in the third quarter. They made a push at the end of the third quarter, went into the fourth quarter with, with a six-point lead, and then they were outscored 37-25 to 25 in the fourth quarter. Once again, proving that the Pelicans, if they're not blowing teams out, they, and they're, they're in a close game when it comes down to the fourth quarter, nine times out of ten they lose. That's not exaggerating. That's how it is. It's just disappointing. There's no other word for it. Christian Clark of NOLA.com put this out today. Uh, and I may end up recycling this for triple option. We'll see what happens there. Uh, the turnover percentage in quote-unquote clutch time, the last five minutes scored within five points. The Pelicans are dead last in the NBA at 20.5%. They're just behind the Trailblazers and the Spurs, who are at 17.8%, and the Spurs are at 15.3% respectively. Uh, the Pelicans' 20.5% turnover percentage in clutch time, once again, last five minutes score within 15 points. They don't know how to operate. They shut down. And then it's not even just that their offense stops operating. Their defense. Their defense stinks in the, when it matters most, too. So, And that's what's really worrying for me because if the Pelicans – and I mean, they've slid down the West standings, right? They, they've gone from fifth all the way down to eighth. So we've gone from saying, oh, the Pelicans could – and I mean, it's, it's still kind of at the midway point of the season. We're not even at the trade deadline yet. There's still plenty of season left to play. They could still compete to try and get into the top four of the Western Conference, but right now you're just hoping that they can stay out of the play-in tournament and get back into the top six of the West. But to do that, and if you do in fact make the postseason, make the playoffs, you're going to be seeing a lot of games like this that come down to crunch time minutes. That's what the NBA playoffs is all about. The refs start swallowing their whistles. They don't start calling anything. You you got to play physical ball against the opposition. That's where it all amps up. And the Pelicans have shown time and time again that when it amps up and things get tight, they shut down. Charlie, that ain't good. And and, and being dead last uh, in that 
deal that Christian had put out, Christian Clark, man, that you don't want to be in that position. You just don't. But I think you bring up a good point. Not only is it the offense feeling to make anything happen, the defense falls apart too. And that's supposed to be the strength. That's supposed to be their strength. It is. Uh, and I was listening to Zach Lowe earlier today, and I think he made a really good point. The Pelicans' defense has at times been their strength, but it's it's fascinating because it's a team defense. If you look at their starting unit, C.J. McCollum's a minus defender. Brandon Ingram is a mediocre at best defender. Zion Williamson's a bad defender. Jonas isn't a great defender. He's not a rim protector at all as a big man. Herb Jones is the only one that's a plus defender in that starting lineup. And that's a lot of the time the unit that you see on the floor to close out games. And if they're not getting defensive stops, you got to figure out who will. And, I mean, if you're looking at the trade deadline, which is going to be coming up on February 8th. they got to make a move. You would think, right? They gotta I, I mean, make I don't want to overreact necessarily because we all knew that this was going to be a tough three-game stretch. Oklahoma City, one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and then back-to-back games against the two best teams in the East. But going 0-3, losing multiple games by 24 points, and then blowing a big lead that you had against Boston, uh, it's it's not a good look, Mike. And, I mean, they got to figure it out fast because the February schedule does kind of ease up a little bit. they got a game on Wednesday against Houston, who's struggled at times this year. I know they just beat the Lakers. Um, but they've struggled. They've had their struggles at, at points this season. Uh, and then February's a little bit easier where you play a lot of teams that are below 500, including games against like the Spurs and the Wizards and Toronto. Um, but at the same time, you're looking at how they've played against the elite upper echelon teams of the NBA, and the Pelicans just aren't there. They aren't. And you, you sort of were some. But we knew this stretch – was going to be really difficult. Yeah, but going 0-3. And, but that was. I mean, the way they went 0-3 is the way they went. Yes. Not so much, uh, again, a loss is a loss no matter what. But, man, they looked awful. It looked awful. Uh, you get blown out twice, and then, you know, yesterday you had a big lead, and then you saw it just evaporate. And the Celtics didn't have their top two big men in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's nothing else to say. You had – the Celtics, and then you lost it. I, I mean, the second half was just bad. And it started in the third quarter. The start of yes. the third quarter, yeah. you go into halftime with a 10-point lead, and Boston basically erased that immediately. <laughs> and we all kind of saw it coming. Once again, Mikey had said we were texting about it. We were like, seeing the tsunami. It, how long is it going to take for the Pelicans yeah. to blow this double-digit lead? They've done it multiple times this season. It's not a surprise to anyone that's followed the team. They'll go out to get, uh, they'll get out to a good start build up a double-digit lead against a good team, and then they'll get chipped away at over time. And then once it gets to close, you know, clutch time minutes, as Christian Clark had mentioned, five points within the final five minutes, that's when the Pelicans just shut down. And so hopefully that'll get better when they play Houston. Uh, man, I've watched the Rockets play, Charlie. That's, uh, that's a team they should beat. Yeah, but they've lost Most, to Houston. They did lose to Houston earlier in the year. I think it was in – Late November or December, yeah. in the red on thinks, the red court, right? I, maybe I'm misremembering this, Mike, but I think they've actually lost to Houston twice this year. Okay, um, both games, I believe. I remember the red court. Yeah, it was the in season tournament yeah. game in Houston, but I mean, and Houston's decent at home, so it's not a gimme game by any stretch of the imagination. But the Pelicans just need to break this losing skid because, as I said, they fell from fifth to eighth in the West. That's how tight the West is. You can't afford these losing streaks because, I mean, on the opposite side, you've got Sacramento, who's on a four-game winning streak. They've shot all the way up back to fifth place. The Pelicans have owned Sacramento this year, 
but they're you know winning at the right time. The Pelicans are losing at the wrong time. It's same thing that happened last year. They go on an extended losing streak in January. And, I've seen this movie already, yeah, I mean, so to speak. It's, it's getting uh, repetitive, let, Mike. Let me answer this text from 6818. He asked about Brock Purdy attending the Manning camp. Yes, he did. Brock Purdy did attend the Manning camp. And, uh, man, he was accurate throwing the football. He was not the biggest guy there. Didn't have the strongest arm, but he was accurate. He threw the football on balance. You could see he was not going to be this runner. Uh, but he did pretty well this weekend running the football. I do give Brock a lot of credit. And you could tell he was smart. He understood different schemes and how receivers he hadn't played with could get into and out of a cut and a break. You knew he wasn't going to be a high pick because he wasn't big, didn't have the super strong arm. He wasn't a mobile guy. So he didn't hit a lot of the check marks. He fit perfectly into what Kyle Shanahan wanted to do in San Francisco because you know what? The guy that hit all those check marks, Trey Lance, he didn't make it. And they gave him every opportunity to do so. Nice with the Cowboys. We'll be back with more sports talk here on the Big 870. We talk in Senior Bowl with Jeff Nowak right after this break here on the Big 870 WWL. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike, to take you along with Charlie Long. Uh, we're going to go to Jeff Nowak, St. Sideline reporter, digital content producer here for the Big 870. And this Senior Bowl update is brought to you by the spirit of First American Bank, a banking tradition since 1910. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Finally got him out on the field today. And uh, I was telling this to Charlie and Steve. We'll have a better look at the, the quarterback play tomorrow because I look at this like I, I look at Manning. That first day to Thursday, you know, these quarterbacks, they haven't worked with the receivers, and so the timing is a little off. Uh, but by the second day, they get it. Uh, they understand their receivers real well. I got to watch some of the practice sessions this morning and early this afternoon, and certainly, uh, man, Fuagu and Guyton just look uh, terrific up front along the offensive line, and I think there'll be picks from 11 through 17 in round one. 
but who really I thought uh, had good practice sessions, Lad McCulkey from uh, Georgia and Roman Wilson, who I really like. Man, he can run like hell, uh, and he's become a better route runner. From what you saw in the practice sessions, who really stuck out to you? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I have to say I started out a little off-kilter as well because I, I went to my car this morning and had a flat tire. So I ended up being about an hour later than I wanted to be, and I missed some of the one-on-ones of the first practice. I did get there in time to watch the team drills. But, no, there was, there was a lot of interesting – yeah, with the, with the wide receivers and tight ends specifically, you kind of early on in these practices, you have to kind of not necessarily look at the result, but look at what led up to the result, like look at the, how they're moving, you know, how they're setting up their routes. Um, you know, there was a few guys that stood out to me today. Like I said, I, this first day, I don't know any of the numbers. I'm just kind of going in blind, and I use it to kind of just not go in with any kind of preconceived, oh, I think this guy's going to be good, I think this guy's going to be good. And I just allow, like, the players to stand out. And two guys today that I thought, you know, really caught my eye were uh, Xavier Leggett, South Carolina, just a, a big dude. Just, you know, I think he measured in. I think he shrunk two inches uh, from what he was looked at at South Carolina. He was listed at 6'3". He came in at 6'1 at the Senior Bowl. But they all uh, shrink, so to speak. The linemen yeah. do something. Now, linemen, most of the time it's close. But receivers, defensive backs – and defensive yeah. ends, uh, there's some fudging of numbers there. I think they measure them in cleats they, uh, on concrete <laughs> in college, and then they uh, they get Something measured like for real. That. But uh, yeah, I mean Xavier, you know, he's he's raw, you know. He, but I think there's a there's a really productive NFL receiver in there, and it's going to be a team that commits to kind of developing his ability to play with his size. And when I say that, I mean he's you cannot teach his ability to move the way he does at the size that he is. But you can teach him how to use his body and angle those catches. Like A.J. Brown is a good example of a guy who does that. You know, and, and, and I just think that he's a guy who's going to get drafted in maybe the second or third round, and a team's going to have a really productive receiver. And it could be the Saints. I mean, the Saints are going to be in that range of, you know, maybe you take a wide receiver in round two, maybe you trade up to round three. But he's a guy that I really liked. Um, another, another pass catcher was, uh, well, oh, man, I forgot his name. Ben Sinnott, tight end from Kansas State. You know, this isn't going to be a banner year for, for tight ends by any stretch. You have Brock Bowers, and then, you know, no one else has really kind of claimed attention at the tight end position. But this is a guy who is very physical, is athletic, can move around. You know, I watched him out there, and I assumed he was undersized just by the way that he was moving. I was like, no, you're, you're not 6'4", 250, and moving at that size. But that's what he measured in at. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought he was a really intriguing guy. And, again, you're looking at a Saints team that could definitely add a piece or two at the tight end position. So he's another intriguing guy to me. But those are those are the two that I think on offense that really stood out. Like you mentioned, Lad McConkey is interesting because, you know, he's a guy who's been talked about as a fringe first-rounder. I don't know if I buy that. No, I don't I buy he's it He's probably either. a day-two guy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought he had a solid day. I don't know. You're coming from Georgia. I expect you to look head and shoulders above some of these guys you're going against. I didn't see that, but I do think he's going to be a productive player. Um, it's just going to be uh, it's going to be a landing spot thing for him. I think it's going to be uh, a team that falls in love with kind of his abilities and and kind of a guy that just won all throughout college has that that temperament that you want coming in. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think he's interesting. And there's going to be a lot more. You know, the defensive side is a little tougher to gauge because. You know, the, the, you're you're looking at a lot of one-on-ones that are stilted against the defense. And then you're looking at this really milk toast 
defensive scheme that's really not trying to fool anybody. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see from, from them over the next couple of days. That's what I'm going to spend a lot more time watching tomorrow is the defensive side of the trenches and some of the safeties, some of the cornerbacks. Nobody beat Quinion Mitchell from Toledo. Man, he, he was like, okay, Jack, uh, line up and I'm going to beat you. You ain't making no catch on me. But I, I've seen that the last couple of years. Uh, nobody really tested him this year because last year, if you tested him, he either picked it off or he knocked it down. And uh, I right. think Quinion's going to be a first-round pick. Ben Sennett is an interesting player because he won the Loban Award as the best fullback in college football this year. And so he's a multi-position player. He can play fullback. He can play H-back. He can play that flex tight end. And he gives you a big target. But you also, if you're looking for a fullback as a lead guy, he's done it too. And he's a, he's a really good athlete. And so you're you looking for a skill set here. And Ben can do multiple things across the board. Um, one of the things uh, I, I, you, sometimes you get fooled with is a guy that looks great in practice – but yet you watch him during the season or the last couple of years, it doesn't equate. And I, I saw Gabe Hall from, from Baylor, who's a huge defensive end uh, for his size, uh, and he really dominated up front uh, who he was going up against, and yet he didn't do squat at Baylor. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he was a marginal player there, but he looks great coming off the team bus and he practiced well. So that's how sometimes you get fooled uh, with players. And I think the next – I think tomorrow and Thursday gives you a better gauge of the player because there's always a little bit of nerves too on the first day. It, it, that's just natural uh, with those players. Um, Daquan Jackson from – who I, I saw play a lot of high school football at Hornville, and then he goes to Tulane, and he was a really good receiver there, smallish guy, a lot of speed. He mm-hmm. wins the first two one-on-ones. He gets open, breaks away due to his speed. The next uh, couple plays that are thrown to him, he's running into the defensive backs. He's running into coverage. Uh, didn't look quite as good. His route running skills is something he's going to need to work on, but I can't teach him to be fast, and he is. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I did. I actually wrote that down. You know, there at times it looks like he's he's got these moves, like he's got these routes that he wants to run, and he's running them regardless of what the defensive back is doing. Right. He's he's running his route against air, but there's a defender who's playing a certain way. And I think that's, you know, you he's got that short area quickness that you can just project him and say, this is going to be a guy who shows up on an NFL roster and is kind of that perfect slot cornerback who can make guys miss in a phone booth and create space and and get out and, and create big plays. But it, yeah, I think he has to learn how to play with leverage and understand how the defender is playing. Um because I just don't think I saw that today. And, uh, but, you know, he has just that innate ability to, to just outrun you, right, and, and just kind of get on top of you and, and not look back. And I did think he, you know, a couple of the plays that, that weren't made by him, I think, you know, you're talking about, again, the quarterback not necessarily being as familiar with, with him, although, you know, Michael Pratt was uh, throwing him a couple of those one-on-ones. He, I think he told me that they went two for two when they uh, – when they kind of paired up in the one-on-ones and that's not a surprise, but yeah, Jaquan's a guy who is interesting. I am, I am very curious to see whether he, you know, he has upside as a returner. You know, I think he could be a guy who goes on day three and, and really kind of finds his way in that slot role that, 
you know, every, you know, we talk about the slot and slot cornerbacks as if it's not a starting position. It's a starting position in today's NFL. Like you need a X, OZ, and a slot, or you do not have your three starting wide receivers. So, I, yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see how he does the rest of the week. Sure. One of the things, Jeff, uh, you got to talk to Jeff Ireland, and he brought up something, and the antenna came up for me, about how sizes are changing as the edge rushers. You're not finding all these six foot five, two seventy five type people anymore. There's some of them there, but can they play? Some of the guys that have really hit it up are a little bit on the undersized part of it. And as a scout or if you're running a team, you have to adjust to what's coming out. You're not always going to get that prototypical-looking guy. Uh, Jared Verse is not prototypical, okay? He's not the prototypical guy. Latoue uh, from UCLA, he's not the prototypical guy, and the medicals will play a big part with him. That's the one area in this draft class I don't see a lot of depth in. That there's not a lot of those edge type rushers, but to hear Ireland say you have to adjust, you better because you're not finding all those guys that look like what say like what Cam Jordan when he came out of Cal looked like. No, and it does it changes over time, and you know part of it is the players coming out of college. Part of it is the way NFL offenses and NFL defenses are operating. You know, one one of the things I asked Jeff today, and you know he he seemed as exasperated by the question as everyone is by talking about it is, you know, you can't really project health. And I think that's been, when you talk about the Saints and the edge rusher position, we can say, well, they haven't scouted the right players, but it's impossible to know whether they scouted the right players because we haven't seen Peyton Turner get on the field, right? Isaiah Foskey, he played, what, seven games, and then he, was, he came back from the quad injury, re-injured it, and he was out the rest of the season. So it's like you can't, it's, so, it's impossible to project the health and the, and the ability there. I don't know. I, I, I still see the Saints as a team that's going to stick pretty close to that prototype. You know, you have, you have like Chris Braswell, and like you mentioned, Latu out of UCLA. Um, you know, I, I, I think that this is a team that believes in a certain type of defense. You know, you might see things change on offense. You might see, you know, that's something he talked about is the offensive coordinator, whoever ends up getting hired. That's going to probably throw a wrench into, you know, maybe not how you're scouting, but the type of players that you're putting at the top of your board. But I don't, I don't know. I, I still see this Saints defense as being a team that focuses on these kind of big-bodied outside rushers who can play the run on the way to the quarterback. You might try to get a little more athletic, but I still think that's the scheme and that's what you're going to run as long as Dennis Allen is, is kind of uh, running the show there. And, um, you know, I, I do think that you saw, but you did see late in the year, you saw the Saints turn to Zach Bond, who's kind of that hybrid, smaller edge rusher who was there in pass downs, and it was effective. So, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I am curious to see how they develop that over time. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't see, like, past Jared Verse, you know, I don't see a ton of of high-end first-round prospects that I expect the Saints to go after. I could be wrong. Um, I just I, – I, I really find it I, – I find it very difficult to get past uh, Taliesi Fuaga as, like, the, the prime <laughs> target in the first <laughs> round for the Saints, a guy who – you know, 300, he's not just big, he's 6'6", 330 pounds. And he moves around, uh, you know, like a, like a dancing bear. And uh, I just, the need for, and, and, the, and the opportunity there just seems way too obvious. And I got a good look at him today in some of these team drills. I do have some questions about, you know, when you're talking about these speed rushers, right? I know he can manhandle them when he gets his hands on them, 
But what happens when they get by him? And and you did see a couple times you saw him struggle with some speed. But when he when he can get his hands on you, you are not getting anywhere. He's, he's just gonna. He reminds me kind of a Tyron Smith in that way, where he's just so physically imposing that <laughs> there's going to be plays where you're just getting ragdolled. Yeah, um, Tyler really Guyton from Oklahoma, yeah. I think, is the other guy because I think Fuagu and Tyler, I think both those guys are going to be in the range where the Saints pick, and. Yeah. Um, um, you know, Fuagu's got a little bit more experience. He's the best run blocker in this draft class. That, that That's not even a debate there. He's the best uh, of all the tackles. And I would throw Alt and uh, Olu in there from Penn State. And he's the best run blocker. Where he's going to need some work at, and I see it, I saw it today, he's not bending at the knees at times on those speed rushers. He's bending at the waist. Somebody's going to have to work with him a little bit. And as for a big man, that's difficult. Uh, to bend more because now you've got the leverage. If you're bending at the knees and not at the waist, they can't push you and get around you as well. And that's something – but listen, they sent a man to the moon. They can teach you how to do that a particular part. But Tyler, man, you watch him, and I watched him all season long at Oklahoma. He just stoned you. Uh, if you were trying to get past him – he just whack. You're not getting around him. And he's a huge man with a big wingspan. And uh, he's become a more physical player uh, at the point of attack. And I, I think those two guys are going to be the two highest drafted players at the Senior Bowl. And I think they'll both be top 16 picks. And you look at it, isn't that the area the Saints pick? Isn't that a need? It sure is. <laughs> you know, and I did, I did think it was interesting. I, I watched Tyler – and a lot of like like I said, I'm not staring at the roster throughout this entire thing, and I I wouldn't have guessed just by watching him that you're talking about a guy who's six seven, yeah, right? Like he's massive, but he carries it well. He moves well for a guy of that size. Um, and it's going to be a question, you know. The the thing with uh, Fuaga is he's a right tackle. I think he's going to stick at right tackle. And so if you're the Saints, it's really okay, you know. What is our plan? How are we going to approach this from a tackle position perspective? And we talked to Jeff Ireland today. One thing that the Saints have been very consistent about, whether it's Dennis Allen, whether it's Mickey Loomis, whether it's Jeff Ireland, whether it's whoever, is that this team is not giving up on Trevor Penning. The idea that, okay, he didn't play this season, so, you know, this is not in the cards. Like, that's really not how they're approaching it. I think they're, they, they are honest when they're saying they think they threw him in too early and they wanted to let him take a step back. And I do think that the goal is to have him compete for that left tackle spot next season. And and so when, when the tackle position becomes a concern, it's when, okay, what happens if he can't hack it there? What do you do? And then what happens if Ryan Ramchak's knee doesn't allow him to go? And I, if I'm being honest, the Ryan situation has me more concerned than Trevor um, just because I, I do think that Trevor can get better and, and grow over time. Now, one thing that, that Jeff also said when I asked him this specifically, he sees Trevor as a guy who could potentially shift inside. There are no plans to do that right now, but he believes he could. So that's going to be something that we talk about down the road. If Trevor can hack it at left tackle, do you try him at left guard or right guard or whatever? Um, I know we've talked about it on Sports Talk about possibility kicking him, but he's the first one to say it from the Saints. Well, he's, I mean, he, and, know, he, and he, he said he, he could potentially kick inside yeah, or left or right. Yeah. He also wanted to make it clear. He's like, I'm not the one who makes those decisions. <laughs> yeah, I'm just telling you from a scouting perspective 
that I think he has the ability to do that. That doesn't necessarily mean he thinks it's the, the best option. And I don't think that's even, you know, in consideration. I've had people say, well, why don't they just do it and see what he has? I think people underestimate that it's, it's not just, you know, just lining up in a different spot. It's an entirely different position. And you're talking about someone you're trying to uh, develop at the NFL level at left tackle. <laughs> and suddenly like, no, 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 you, know, you do this now, you do this now. Like, that's just not how it works. He's played left tackle his whole life. So that's, I think that's a last resort if this season doesn't go the way you had hoped. But, you know, I do think that it, that kind of informs some of your decision-making. And you're talking about a guy where it's like if, if Blog is on the board, if Guyton's on the board, you have, some, you have some realistic options that you can look at at a position of need. And I just, this is such a tackle-heavy draft is it? that I would just feel really disappointed if you didn't end up getting one of those in the top 15. Do you think, and last question, do you think this team will try to bring back Andrews Pete and play him at tackle, at left tackle? I think you do, and, and not necessarily because your plan is to play him at tackle, but because you could also play him at guard. And I think – one of, this, one of the things I know Dennis Allen loves is positional versatility. And, you know, you kind of found out last year that Andres can still hack it at left tackle. He's still probably at his best at guard. So I think if, if the number is right, you know, and there's a chance that he gets that number bit up pretty high. If the number is right, I could see them bringing, bringing Andres back with the hope that Trevor Penning takes that tackle spot. And then you could potentially start Andres at guard. But, yeah, I think that they're going to want to bring him back if they can. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. We'll talk tomorrow, and uh, uh, hope you don't get another flat tire. <laughs> Me too. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> right. uh, that's Jeff Nowak, St. Sideline reporter, digital content producer here on the Big 870. This Senior Bowl update is brought to you by the spirit of First American Bank, a banking tradition since 1910. We come back, we'll have triple option right here on the Big 870. Myself, Charlie Long, and Steve Geller right after this break. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one. They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike Detail along with Charlie Long. Steve Geller joins us now for Triple Option, top stories in sports today. Steve, I'll go to you first. Well, gentlemen, the Saints announced today that linebacker Demario Davis is a pro bowler replacing uh, Fred Werner on the roster. Obviously, Fred Werner going to be a little bit busy in the Super Bowl. Uh, It's the second straight year for Demario Davis making the pro bowl, guys. Uh, The first for him to be named in two consecutive campaigns since Jonathan Vilman, 09 in 2010. That was kind of surprising. But, man, DeMario started every game this year, led the team in tackles, had six and a half sacks, 12 stops for loss, four passes defended, uh, forced fumble, also a fumble recovery, was named the second team pro, uh, all pro. And that always, you know, I thought was funny throughout the years. I think he's been now uh, four straight all-pro selections. So how is DeMario an all-pro but not a pro bowler than the previous years? It just kind of throws me off a bit and I guess kind of tells you something about pro bowl voting too. Yeah, it's if you win it or not. <laughs> that That's the other part of it. The winning teams, you, you got a little bit of an advantage. I get it uh, on that particular part. Uh, and uh, you and I were talking about this too. Uncle Rico, Garner Minshew <laughs> makes the Pro Bowl. Now, I was telling you the story. Kemster Manning, and I wanted to break because I, 
I've done nine interviews in that one-hour session, but I never got to ten. And I wanted to get there. Man, Cole Walker, who's now at Fox 8, he was my cameraman. I said, we got to go talk. To, we got to get 10. We, we just had minutes, and it was ticking away. And I caught Garner Minshew. And he tells me the whole story <laughs> about uh, I was going to Alabama, and I was going to be uh, a second-string quarterback and learning how to coach, and I would be an assistant coach one day. And then all of a sudden, Mike Leach – God bless him. Calls him, said, hey, I got a spot for you if you want to uh, play quarterback here at Washington State. All he did that year, he was the Pac-12 player of the year. And now playing in the Pro Bowl. Man, uh, thrill for him. A guy went to the same high school as yeah. Demario Davis. So Gardner Minshew was your 10th interview in the, the day of Manning camp. Uh, yeah, he pretty, was. He was the last impressive. one. He was the last one. And, and he laughed about it. He said, oh, is this the only second one I did <laughs> all day? I was like, okay. Uh, you know, So we we got to talk for quite some while. Man, always pull for the guy. You were hustling. Uh, no, I was hustling that day. Charlie? Guys, this might be a little bit forward-thinking because February 8th is, in fact, the NBA trade, de- trade deadline. But I don't know about y'all. I haven't seen many big names kind of floating around. I think the biggest one is probably like DeJounte Murray from Atlanta, the, the lead guard there uh, outside of Trey Young. But I'm, I'm just looking at potential additions that the Pelicans could make, and I don't see much. I know that they've been rumored interest in another Atlanta player, Nonyeko Kongwu, the center there. Uh, as more of a young rim-protecting big that Jonas Valanciunas hasn't really done this season or actually in his entire career, really. I I don't really know. Like, I know the Pelicans should probably make a move. I just don't know who's available to go get. I know that last night Chris Dodson said a name that made my ears perk up when he said Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. I would love Jaron Jackson Jr., but I don't think he's going to be available for Memphis. I know that, you know, John Morant's out for the year. This is a throwaway year for the Grizzlies. But at the same time, I think that they view him as like a key building block of that team. The Pelicans, I think they if they do make a move, unless they surprise everybody and make a gigantic move that I'm not really anticipating for someone like Jaron Jackson Jr., I think you'd be looking more at a potential addition like a Tyus Jones or someone like that to get a point guard in this offense that just struggles every single time you get into clutch possessions. Point Zion, you know, sometimes it works, and it works when you're blowing teams out and lighting it up from three-point range with him kicking it out to guys like Trey Murphy and Jordan Hawkins. But when it's not working in late-game scenarios, when you put the ball in his hands and he kind of freezes up, you need a point guard in those scenarios. And the Pelicans just really don't have a true point guard. they got a bunch of combo guards. they got C.J. McCollum. they got Dyson Daniels. they got Herb Jones. They don't really have a true ball handler outside of, you know, whenever they use points Zion and at points that doesn't work. So, once again, trade deadline's coming up. I do think the Pelicans should probably make a move. I don't think it's going to be anything kind of earth-shattering or ground-breaking. Uh, but it would be nice to see them potentially go at a point guard. The problem is, too, Charlie, who do you get rid of? I don't know. I, I mean, it really depends on what the, the price is for some teams. You have actually – I mean, and once again, I was listening to Zach Lowe earlier. The Pelicans do have assets that they could trade off. They have young talent. They have you know guys on good deals. They have picks that they can trade off. Um I don't want to really give up on him yet, but Dyson Daniels is one of those guys that I think is viewed pretty highly around the league, and he's all he is right now is just defense, guys. He, he doesn't provide anything on the offensive end. So maybe he's someone that you could potentially include in a deal if you're trading off a young player, uh, but it would have to be you know for someone that you think could help you make a playoff push. Um, and right now the Pelicans are just kind of floundering. Guys, uh, it got announced this morning, but the Chiefs-Ravens game uh, averaged 55.47 million viewers on CBS. It's the most watched AFC championship game ever. 
and just think about you know all these reality shows that, that get all these numbers. Well, pro football has become the biggest reality show game in the biz. For sure. And and look at that, man! A fifty five point four million viewers, uh, man, and that's what you averaged. Uh, that probably was higher at the end of the game because we all know what happens. Uh, you got gamblers, uh, you, you know, because you can gamble now uh, easier than any other time in your life, and you you pull in for certain teams and everything else. That is a huge, huge number uh, for CBS to get, and again, the most watched AFC Championship game ever. And I think the Super Bowl is going to get monster numbers too, because we've seen it throughout the playoff process. Uh, these huge numbers. And the one thing is bad weather in the Midwest and in the Northeast keep people in. And if you have that situation on Super Bowl Sunday, you're going to get those record-breaking numbers again. I got to imagine, too, Mike, with the ability now to stream stuff on your phone, tablets, wherever, that's got to just increase, obviously, viewership. Yeah, and that's why they want to charge you for everything. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so it is what it is at this stage. We'll be back to finish it up here on hour number two of Sports Talk on the Big 870 right after this break. We're back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike to tell you along with Steve Geller, Charlie Long, and Ian Rappaport is reporting that Texans quarterback coach Gerard Johnson, who interviewed by, I think it was Zoom and also in person with the Saints. He did too. He has informed teams interested in hiring him as an offensive coordinator. He plans on staying with the Texans. Wow. How about that? And so I always thought he might end up in Cleveland because of what he did with C.J. Stroud. I thought the Browns might say, you know what, man, we need somebody here, um, man, to, to get the most we can out of Deshaun Watson. I didn't think he was coming here the, to the Saints. But I thought Cleveland might have been the spot, and then they went another direction. So Gerard Johnson has informed teams he is going to return to the Texans with C.J. Stroud. And he got an extension and a raise, according to ESPN's Well, Adam you always Schechter. get so that. He is Come not on. going anywhere, and they are sitting happy with him after what he did with Stroud in his rookie season. And, Bob's, really and Bobby Sloak is staying also, right. correct? Their offensive coordinator. So, there you go. And if Sloak would have gone somewhere, it would have made the most sense to promote from within and give Johnson that OC role in Houston. So Scratch but, a name off the yeah, Saints Yeah, it's, a, it's another list. name off the list, right. as you're saying, Steve. Yeah, we keep uh, – the, the one name that's not scratch off is that Gruden guy, right? Hmm. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with all that. We'll be back with more sports talk here on the Big 870 right after this news break. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.